0: Well, let us continue in worship this morning as we give our undivided attention to God's Word as found in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, and this morning we are giving our attention to verses 13 through 35, here now. The Word of the Lord, Proverbs 3, beginning verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorner he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. May the Lord bless the reading of his word we just sang together in worship a few moments ago, speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Why do our minds need to be renewed, renewed week after week, day after day? Because as Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, if we don't renew our minds, then we will be conformed to what? This world's. And if you're not actively renewing your mind according to the word, then you will be surely conforming to the world. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 lets us in a little secret. Your thinking will either grow in godliness or in worldliness, but you cannot put your mind in neutral. Your thinking is always in gear. Moving in a certain direction. It can be engaged in first gear, moving slowly, almost unnoticeably. Or it can be in fifth gear, all in full speed. But you can be in neutral. You're always thinking. One thing is certain. You won't find a more important element of human existence than thinking. What we allow or don't allow into our minds. Now, given Paul's appeal to the mind in Romans chapter 12, it is clear that conformity to the world involves conformity to its way of thinking, just like renewing our minds involves conformity to God's way of thinking as revealed in Scripture. Now, what's the point? The point is this. It is a fight. It is a struggle. It is a conflict, and at the heart of this conflict is the health of the mind. In other words, we must learn to think properly about how many things? Everything, right? All things. Now, would you agree that thinking properly, thinking rightly is a struggle? Yes. If you have done any thinking, you know that it is a struggle to think properly about things. Now, essential to this battle for the mind, is the definition of happiness. Happiness. So let me ask you, when you think of happiness, what do you think of? I'm not actually asking you to to reply, okay? I don't want you to say anything right now, but just think. When you think of happiness, what do you think of? Now, the world has definitions of happiness. Part of the attraction of the world is to tempt us to think, That true happiness is obviously found primarily in the gratification of passing desires, fleeting passions, momentary pleasures. Others would say that happiness is found in having a solid family, or a successful career, or a problem-free marriage. Anyone can say that, first of all? Problem-free marriage? Or the total freedom to do and be whoever you want to be. What do you say? What is happiness? What is the happy life? Why are we talking about happiness? Consider the very first word in verse 13 of our passage this morning. What is the very first word? Blessed. Blessed. The Hebrew word is esher. In Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 29, the exact same Hebrew word is used. And several, several English versions, including the ESV, translate Deuteronomy 33:29, 29, happy are you, O Israel. Literally, they use the word happy for the exact same Hebrew word. Our passage is addressing the issue, the matter of happiness, hence the title of this sermon. It is imperative that as Christians, we learn to think about happiness biblically if we don't then the world will be ready to give us its own definition of happiness so here's the question where do we begin what's the starting point toward true happiness here's the first point true happiness begins with a recognition true happiness begins with a recognition what what is that recognition my lack my Lack. Consider verse 13 once again. Pay attention to these words. Blessed, happy is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Before we get to wisdom herself, I thought it necessary to begin where it may not seem as obvious to begin. When I say that true happiness begin with the recognition of my lack, what do I mean? I mean this. You cannot... Even begin the journey toward true happiness if you think you can find it all within yourself. That's the wrong starting point. Verse 13 is actually extending the opposite invitation to you and to me. If you want true happiness, you must look away from yourself. Away from yourself. True happiness, it's outside of you. You have got to find something first. What you need to be truly happy, you lack. You have to find something. That's where it all begins. Truly happy, blessed are the ones who have come to see their own lack. If you have ever read the Sermon on the Mount, how many of you have read the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you have ever read those words, this sounds familiar. How did the Lord begin? He began with the exact same word, blessed. In Greek, the word is makarios, makarios. The Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, uses the word makarios in Proverbs 3, verse 13. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and Proverbs in chapter 3 are speaking about the exact same thing, happiness. Happiness and the Lord Jesus begins in a highly counterintuitive, unexpected way using these words Blessed or truly happy are the poor in spirit, blessed or truly happy are those who mourn, blessed or truly happy are the meek. And listen to this one blessed or truly happy are those who hunger and thirst. Notice that fourth quality of happiness, according to the Sermon on the Mount. Hungering and thirsting. What does that tell you? You only hunger and you only thirst for something you know you need, but you don't have. You only hunger and you only thirst for something you know you need, but you don't have. Likewise, our passage in Proverbs 3.13 tells us that in order to be truly happy, we must begin with the recognition that what we need, we don't have. We must go find it. So the journey to true happiness begins with the humbling recognition of my own lack, the recognition that I am not sufficient in myself. This is something that I normally, I often tell my children You know how the Bible is true? The Bible never flatters you. The Bible never flatters you. Why? Because the Bible speaks the truth only. It's not seeking to flatter you. It's only seeking to speak the truth. What does the world speak? Well, the world speaks lies. It tells you that you are sufficient for your own happiness. The words just be you, have become the world's banner. Just be you. That's where happiness is. That's where satisfaction is. That's where joy is. Just be you. But it is a lie. It is a lie. For instance, it doesn't take much to find countless of testimonies of people who thought That their happiness was found in reconstructing their own bodies to match their feelings. Only to find out that this reconstruction of their bodies brings nothing but pain, suffering, and shame. Why? Because when happiness is confined or is fettered to human feelings, you are bound to be deceived and severely disappointed. The biblical teaching on happiness is diametrically opposed from the beginning, for it explains that the journey to happiness, it explains that journey in a way that from the start shatters human pride. It shatters human pride. The Bible tells us that we are not an end in and of ourselves. We have to go find something, that we are not self-sufficient, that we are not a self-contained world. We must look for something outside of us. If we don't, we will never be complete. In fact, without that one thing we must find, we will never know true happiness, but only a passing happiness that will never satisfy. Now, here's the next question. What is that one thing we must find? What is that one thing? Here's the next point. True happiness rests upon a person. Who is that person? Christ Jesus. True happiness rests upon a person Christ Jesus let us read verses 13 through 15 the blessed is the one who finds what wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold she is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare compare with her I know what you're thinking is he reading the same passage I'm reading Right? Where is he getting Christ Jesus from? He's not even mentioned in this passage. I agree that he's not mentioned here. So do I have any evidence or any backing for using his name explicitly? I believe I most certainly do. First of all, consider the arguments from the book of Proverbs itself. Proverbs' clear intent is to present wisdom in a personified way personified way wisdom is a she and she calls wisdom stands on the street's corners and lifts her voice she calls out proverbs wants us to wants us to think of wisdom as a person as a person as a she when you hear proverbs speak of wisdom it doesn't sound like a what but like a who We should not ask, what is wisdom? We should ask, who is wisdom? Now, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 to help us find the answer. Who is wisdom? When we think of wisdom, who should we think of? Colossians chapter 2, and I want us to read beginning in verse 1 through verse 3. This passage addresses the question we are thinking of. In fact, it answers the question in a definitive way, impossible to miss. So if you think I'm stretching my second point, then I hope this will vindicate the words I have chosen. Here it is, Colossians 2, beginning in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen my face, see me face to face. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is who? Christ. Now, verse three Christ in whom? Christ in whom are hidden all. How many? All the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge, since in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, then what is Proverbs 3.13 revealing to us? It reveals this, there cannot be true happiness. You cannot enjoy the blessed life apart from faith in Christ Jesus. You cannot. You cannot be truly happy if you don't have him, the Lord Christ Jesus is the wisdom of God. Therefore, and as a general principle, we cannot understand and or apply Proverbs without faith. Proverbs is not a book of rules for those who are self-righteous, but a book of principles for those who are in Christ. Now, let me address the reasons why finding wisdom understood as Christ Jesus is the only path To true lasting happiness in life. Solomon gives us two reasons, and we're gonna find these in conjunction with the New Testament as well. Here are the reasons. First, Christ surpassing worth. Christ surpassing worth. Verse 13 through 15 of Proverbs 3. Solomon said, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Does that sound familiar at all? Does that language sound familiar at all? There is something about the language here used by Solomon that is strikingly similar to what we find in the New Testament concerning Jesus. Turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter 3, and consider the language that Paul uses when he talks about Jesus, remembering what Solomon said about wisdom. So remember, as you find Philippians chapter 3, remember what Solomon says. Finding wisdom is better than anything else. Wisdom is greater than anything else. Consider what Paul says in Philippians 3, beginning in halfway through verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Rubbish. In order that I may gain who? Christ. Solomon says wisdom is better than anything else. Nothing compares with her. What does Paul say? Christ Jesus is better than anything else in life. Nothing compares with him. Christ completely redefined Paul's understanding of happiness. Before Christ, Paul attributed glory and honor to his resume to his achievements to his reputation to his origins to his race after christ he attributed glory and honor only to christ and to christ alone his joy was in christ jesus can we say the same do you see in christ jesus a surpassing worth greater than anything else in life that's the first reason Christ's surpassing worth. Nothing can compare with him. Here's reason number two. Christ's abundant life. Christ's abundant life. Let's read verses 16 through 18 of our passage in Proverbs 3. Consider the, the, the blessings of wisdom. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Once again, does any of this sound familiar? Wisdom offers a very unique kind of life, doesn't she? Long life, pleasant life, and a life full of peace. Sound familiar? In John chapter 10, verse 10, the Lord Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Did you notice here? Everything wisdom offers can only be found in Christ. Consider what Christ offers, the type of life he offers. Life in Christ is first eternal, eternal. What Solomon calls long life, In Christ, we call eternal life. Through his own death on the cross, Christ Jesus destroyed death once for all. In that regard, the tree on which Jesus hanged and died as a punishment for our sins is the tree of life for us. He died once that we might live forever in God's presence. How is this possible? Well, by the Holy Spirit... Both the Father and the Son come dwell in us. Therefore, we become partakers of divine life, which is eternal, is indestructible. Second, life in Christ is not only eternal, but it is also joyful. Joyful. The way of wisdom, says Solomon in verse 17, is a way of pleasantness. Consider what the Bible says concerning Jesus. In John chapter 15, verse 11, the Lord Jesus says to us, his disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. Are you seeing it? Everything wisdom promises is a promise made to us by and in Christ alone. Finally, life in Christ is peaceful, is peaceful. In verse 17, once again, Solomon says that all the paths of wisdom are peace. As Paul says to the Christians in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus himself is our peace. Moreover, to the Christians in Rome, Paul also said, we have peace with God through whom? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there it is. All of wisdom's blessings are ours in Christ. What is the evidence of this? What is the evidence of this? Here's the evidence provided by Solomon. By him, now that we know that he is Christ, we're going to use him. By him, all things were made. By thing, by him, all things were made. Let's read together verses 19 and 20. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open. Do you get the message, right? By wisdom, he created all things. If you want to meditate... On the works of God's wisdom, then Solomon's invitation is that you look at creation, heaven, and earth, the stars, the mountains, the oceans, living creatures, and everything created declares the glory of God. Why? Well, at least in part, because all things created demonstrate God's wisdom. God's wisdom. But who is God's wisdom? Well, we know that already. It is important at this point to mention... That Proverbs not only seeks to personify wisdom, but it also seeks to present a distinction. It's interesting. A distinction between God and His wisdom. Turn to Proverbs 8. Briefly, we're going to look at this very briefly. Consider the distinction between God and His wisdom. It's an interesting distinction here. It becomes super apparent in Proverbs 8. Consider, for example, verse 22. Where wisdom says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Who is speaking? Wisdom. Wisdom. Consider then in verse 27 of the same chapter. Wisdom once again says, when he, meaning God, established the heavens, I was there. I was there. Interesting. It, wisdom is not only personified, but is presented in a way that is distinguishable from God and His wisdom. Wisdom was there, present, when God created all things, and by her, all things were made. What do we know about Christ Jesus? The exact same truth. John 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Does this sound familiar? Sounds just like wisdom. Wisdom says that she was with God when all things were made, and that by her everything was made. Of Christ Jesus, the Bible says that He also was with God, thus creating a distinction, and that by Christ all things were made. He is the Word. The point is this the point that Solomon is making is this consider creation, its beauty its majesty, its consistency, its vastness, its intricacies, its unending complexities. And as your mind goes into a state of awe and wonder, remember this, Christ is the one who did it all. As you contemplate creation, And as you enter a state of awe and wonder, remember, Christ is the one who did it all. Yes, the one who hanged on that cross, naked and in shame, spat upon, rejected and abandoned and alone. Yes, he possesses an eternal existence and by him all things were made, including you. He is the wisdom of God hanging on that cross. And here's the shocker. Of all shockers, you can have him as your own. You can have him as your own. And if you have him, you have all of it. He is true happiness. Do you want to know the reason I hate sin in my own life, the top? reason why I hate sin in my own life? No? I'll tell you anyway. Sin is the thing that keeps me from understanding and experiencing full joy and happiness in Christ. That's it. That's the main problem with sin. It clouds my view. Sin gets in the way and it pulls me in worthless directions. The reason you and I have a hard time, a difficult time, it is a struggle to find true joy and happiness in Christ is because sin gets in the way. The joy of eternity, my brothers and sisters, will be this. Sin will no longer get in the way of us enjoying full happiness in Jesus. We shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. Sin will be no more. Until that day, however, we must engage in the conflict. And through faith, we must fight for happiness in Christ Jesus. Persevere, my brother and my sister. Press on. If you were to say to me, but brother, I don't fully understand what it means to be truly happy in Jesus, I would say, neither do I. Why do you think I come to church every Sunday? Paul himself, the great apostle, said, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. If you haven't made it, and if you're still fighting for joy in Christ, you are in good company. Press on, my dear friend. Press on. And if you press on, and if you seek to make the knowledge of Jesus and the power of his resurrection your own, Christ will progressively give you something else. A blessing. Here's the blessing. To put it in familiar words, here's the blessing. It is well with My soul. Do you know those words? Some of you do. Consider verses 21 through 26 of Proverbs 3. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lay down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and he will keep you from being caught. In other words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan. Should buffet. Though trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control. That God Christ has regarded. My helpless estate. And he has shed his own blood. For my soul. You get the message. If your happiness. If your joy is attached, it's bound, it's fettered to anything in this world, then your foundation is shaky at best, easily destroyed. But Christ, who is the wisdom of God, he cannot be shaken. He cannot be shaken. Christ will never be destroyed. He put himself under the curse of sin when he died on the cross, but he did that once and for all. He rose again, the Bible says, never to die again. And as Solomon says in verse 26, the Lord is our confidence. That being the case, then whom shall I fear? Said Paul. Whom shall I fear? You see, you're getting the message. You can't read Proverbs apart from Jesus. It is well with our soul. And this only because of Christ. But so much have we received in and through Christ that we are called to live in a manner worthy of the call to which we have been called. What does that manner of living look like? Well, here are the duties. The duties. In verses 27 through 32, before we look at each of them, just to be clear, these are the responsibilities or the duties of The one who is happy in Christ. These are the duties of the ones who have Christ Jesus by faith. These are the duties of those who are walking by faith in Jesus. These are not duties to get to Christ, but because we are in Christ. The more we we grow in our satisfaction in Jesus, the less we will be dominated by the selfish demands of the flesh. So before we get into the specific duties associated with happiness in Christ, we must be clear that even our responsibilities are to be done in and by faith in Jesus. It is only as we look to Christ that we are able to mortify the desires of the flesh. First, notice how each of those duties beginning in verse 27 through 32, each of those are fleshly desires. Fleshly desires these are the works of unmortified flesh greediness in verses 27 and 28, evil plotting in verse 29, contentiousness in verse 30, and envy in verses 31 and 32. So, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus through faith, and we're walking by faith in him, and we have received all things in him, hear now what is expected of us. Four duties that are mentioned here. First, be benevolent. Be benevolent. Verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Has anything changed since those words were written? Well, yes, Christ has come since then. He died, he rose again, he ascended on high, and the Spirit has now been poured in us. So yes, but the duty remains, even more so now that we have the Spirit. Consider what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul said this to us Christians, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due seasons we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So first, be benevolent. Number two, second duty, be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. Verse 29, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Are you a person worthy of trustworthy to be trusted by those who trust you is your yes yes is your no no do you engage in inappropriate deceitful behavior behind those who otherwise think of you as trustworthy do you engage in gossip slander malicious talk etc or are you trustworthy Trustworthiness belongs to those who are happy, and their happiness is rooted in Christ Jesus. Is that you? Number three, peacemaker. Be peacemaker. I'm missing the A there, but peacemaker. Verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. This is repeated then in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Paul says it like this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all. Be at peace with all. A contentious spirit, always on the defensive, always seeking to engage in confrontation, is contrary to what we have in Christ. He is our peace. Are you a peacemaker? And number four, be content. Be content content. Verses 31 and 32. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. To put it in a short format here, do not envy those who enjoy apparent happiness through evil means. Instead, and in faith, train yourself to say what the hymn says, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well, it is well with my soul. So now we come to verses 33 through 35. What do we do here? What is our conclusion? Well, here is our conclusion. True happiness is the work of God in Christ. True happiness is the work of God in Christ. Let's read verses 33 and 35 Consider these words. The Lord's curse is on the house of the what? The wicked. But he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Now this is a good exercise for you to repeat. It's going to be good. So let's read it again. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. But he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Towards the scorner, he is scornful. But to the Humble, he gives favor. Verse 35. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Interesting. Did you notice the clear, unmistakable line drawn in these verses? Did you notice it? What is that line? Well, the line between the righteous and the wicked. Verse 33. The line between the humble and the scornful. Verse 34. And the line between the wise and the fool. Verse 35. So here's a question that is going to make you a little uncomfortable. At least at first. On which side of the line are you? On which side of the line are you? Are you the righteous, humble, and wise? Or are you the wicked, scornful, and fool? Some of you are like, yes. But what about the category in between? Oh, I didn't see it there, did you? There is no category in between. So on which side of the line are you? How would you answer that question if a non-believing friend or one of your kids asks you that question? Maybe tonight during family worship. And they're going to ask you, Dad, which which side of the line are you? It feels a bit like a trap, doesn't it? Well, if I say I'm with the first group, he'll think I'm prideful, thus ruining my testimony. If I say I'm with the second group, he'll think I'm sinful, thus ruining my testimony. Well, what is the answer to this question? Well, the only answer is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is something we must always remember. We must always remember. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is not the only place to go, but it is one of the clearest statements. And this is going to help us answer this question. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Speaking of us, speaking of God's people, speaking of Christians. The Bible says, For we are his what? Workmanship. And then what is the next word? Created. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The righteous, the humble, and the wise are Christians, are Christians, but they are not self-made. They are God's workmanship. They are the work of God in Christ Jesus. You and I, therefore, have nothing whatsoever to boast about. Nothing at all. Do you see it now? Do you see why Proverbs cannot be understood or applied apart from faith in Jesus and his grace in redemption? Christ is our righteousness as well as our wisdom. So when we come to sections like these, in Proverbs chapter 3, what do we do as Christians? The only thing we can do, we give thanks for grace. For the grace of the cross of Jesus. The grace of forgiveness, the grace of regeneration, the grace of propitiation, the grace of justification, the grace of reconciliation, the grace of sanctification, all of which are found in Christ and in Him alone. Therefore, the Bible calls us to let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So as we come to the Lord's table this morning, let us remember what is true about us. We have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And he is and always will be. Our never ending joy. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the invitation of the book of Proverbs. And thank you for the fact that Christ Jesus is the key to all things. Paul learned this. At some point in his life, he thought he was joyful and happy, for he had all the credentials. He had all the achievements, all the successes, the reputation, and many other things. And yet one day he met Christ, the one who died on the cross and rose again. And he took all of it and he counted it as rubbish. For compared to the knowledge of Christ, he knew he had nothing. But that in Christ, he had it all. So help us to be like that. Help us to count all things as nothing when compared to the knowledge that we have of the one who gave himself for us, who shed his blood for us. Help us to remember each day as we face challenges, disappointments, sorrows. Help us to know that our joy remains unmovable. For it is rooted in a person, the Lord Jesus, your wisdom. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for the work of the cross. And may we learn what this means. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.